You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, Served Up friends, Julie here. So great to be with you. I am so excited for you to meet the incredible co-founders of Pelly Health, Kirsten Recker and Helen Grimshaw. These two women are on a mission to educate all of us around the world on pelvic health and how it impacts our lives. Check out pellyhealth.com, that's P-E-L-I health.com for medically driven, relatable content. Dive into their Fall Into Pelvic Wellness program for weekly educational videos and podcasts. You will learn so much, especially as women, how your pelvic health will help you live your best life. Now grab your favorite non-alcoholic drink and let's get inspired. Helen and Kirsten, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are really excited to have you on our show. Thanks for inviting us. We're pleased to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. We're excited to dive in with the two of you. Super excited. Thank you both for taking the time. Let's get started. And the first question I want to ask is, can you both just from your own perspective, share the story of how you started your journey into pelvic health and what inspired the two of you to create pellyhealth.com? Sure. You want to take it first, Helen? No, you you take first step. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, we're gonna go right in and get real personal. Um, so, I, truth be told, I've honestly never thought about uh, my pelvic floor like most people here um, around in America, especially if not around the world, and we're not really educated about it. So it's really the the birth of my son um, where my journey began. I had a C section. Uh, Post C section, I experienced debilitating pelvic pain. It was exceptionally excruciating. Um, and unfortunately, like many stories, um, despite seeing multiple doctors, I was told, oh, it'll eventually go away. At one point, I was offered a lidocaine injection, and that will just take care of the problem. Um, it didn't, right? Um, it kept getting worse. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more personal. When I say excruciating pelvic pain, it was everything from pelvic floor spasms, forget intercourse, forget inserting a tampon, forget any of that. Um, it is, you know, you'll have the spasms while you're standing, walking, sleeping. And that then leads into obviously, right, it's kind of your essence. Not only is it a massive um, muscle structure in your body, it's also uh, your essence, if you will, uh, your sexual essence that then starts to break down your mental health. Um, what leads to depression and anxiety when it comes to intimate moments. Uh, long story short, I was relentless in my search um, for help. I also had an extremely supportive partner, which is not always the case. 
So I recognize um, my my luck in that. Um, so that led me to something I didn't even know about, which is pelvic floor physical therapy. Good news is that becoming more and more common today, but this was five years ago. Following that, I went through four months of intensive pelvic floor physical therapy. I like to call it the yoga, um, where when I say it's intense, I went three times a week. It was hour and hour and a half. And pelvic floor physical therapy is, is not like, you know, you go to the pelvic floor physical therapist and like, let's move our arm, let's lift some weights. No, it is very intimate. Someone is really working inside your body, whether it be vaginally or rectally, to relieve pain, relieve symptoms, either tighten or loosen, to get your body to start responding and reconnect the mind-muscle-brain uh, connection. I was lucky enough to A, live in a geographic area that had a pelvic floor physical therapist, B, that I could afford it. And I bring that up because a lot of times uh, pelvic physical therapy is not covered fully by insurance and or the wait to get into a pelvic floor physical therapist will be on average nine to 10 months long. That's if you're in a geographic region. So um, that was kind of the the beginning of my journey and I'll fast forward I was very open about my journey um so much so and I'll just bring up two two things that were really shocking to me is I I was open um to friends I've been friends with for a decade and uh, one um started crying I've known her forever good friend right and said I haven't had sex with my partner in over two years because I'm in deep pain and I've been too ashamed to talk about it the other one is every day I come home and I wring out my panties right? But I'm too ashamed to talk about it. And I don't know where to go to get help. And I've talked to my physician and I'm not getting um, led in the right direction. And I think through those conversations, it was like, you know what? Something can be done here. This doesn't have to be shameful. There are pathways to help. And um, thus, Pelly for me, started to, to become born. Yeah, and I think I add to Kirsten's story. So Kirsten and I, our, our history, we have actually worked together in a previous life um, for quite a while. And um, it was during lockdown that we started having these conversations and Kirsten was sharing with me her yoga, And I was like, the what? I've never heard of that. Is that something you have over in the US? We don't have any over here in the UK. And so it started as quite a light conversation, but then that conversation evolved and it was really more of a discovery for me of how little I knew about my own health approaching midlife. And so as I went into the perimenopause stage, I realized there was a whole heap of things that I didn't have a, a huge amount of information or, or background on. I have had two children. And so, of course, for me, my pelvic floor is very important as well. But I can't honestly say that I knew much about it or that I was doing any, anything about it, any exercises as I got older. And of course, when, as you get older, your pelvic floor does become weaker naturally um, due to the lack of estrogen. And so for me, it was a slightly different journey and a different end of the spectrum to, to Kirsten. But the two of us together had this conversation. And then, you know, between us, we started talking about this and we've got to do something about this. We've got to start talking to other women about their intimate health, about their pelvic health, because I just don't think anyone was really talking about it. And so we went down the, the route of doing a lot of uh, research into pelvic health, into the issues, talking to women over here in the UK. I know I spoke to a lot of people locally, lots of friends. And once they started to understand what we were doing with Pelly Health, 
it opened up the floodgates for conversation. So bit by bit, I'd have someone come around to my house to, I don't know, walk the dog or something. And it'd be like, oh, by the way, I saw that thing you were doing. And um, I'm also having issues, or there was a lot of issues with prolapse that were too embarrassed to talk about 10 years after having children, 20 years after having children, whatever it may be. So I think between us, we realized there was a whole spectrum of women in different circumstances, whether you've had children or you haven't had children, but we're experiencing issues with pelvic health and really just didn't know either where to go or what to do about it. First, I want to thank you both for being brave enough to come out and talk about this important topic. You know, um, as someone who's had a C-section, who's had cancer scares, Mm. big ones, and had had a full hysterectomy and her ovaries mm. removed and I went into full-blown menopause at age 42. Yeah. And my doctor's only response to me was I don't know, it's part of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was it. That that's that's much. the response. Yeah. I changed doctors and I still don't have much of a response. But I'm happy to that we're now having the conversation because like you said there is shame Unfortunately, in this topic for women that suffer for um, a lot of these things, because what happens when you, like you said, when you go through menopause, you have a C-section, you know, your sex life can take a plummet and it is because it can become painful um, because of so many reasons. So, you know, pelvic health is a topic that might not be like widely understood because we don't have the conversations. Could you explain why it's so important and how it can impact a woman's overall well-being. Absolutely. And either of you take it. Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll jump in and then Helen, I'll kick it over to you. But um, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. Um, and it's really important that we create spaces where those, those exchanges can occur. Um, and for people to feel comfortable to talk and to share and feel supportive. So thank you for, for joining us in that mission and sharing your story. Yeah. You know, when we think about pelvic health, while we might be talking about a very particular part of the body, not just the bone structure, but the muscle structure included in that, that really is responsible for a number of functions, including um, bladder function, bowel function, sexual health function, lower back and hip strength. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting one in there, but um, these really essential core things that occur in our body is supporting our rectum is supporting our bladder is supporting uh, our, our vaginal area. And, or if you're, you know, male or AMAB uh, uh, assigned male at birth is supporting your, your penile uh, area. So, you know, those are pretty critical into our daily function in life. Right. And I'm going to go with the pee and the poo here, right? Like that, is our daily function. You disrupt either of those basic things, which we kind of probably all take for granted in our daily lives. All of a sudden, then you trigger a mental response. So you have a mental and emotional response to that, which often leads to depression and anxiety. So when we think about pelvic health, we are thinking about the whole person. Yes, we have a root cause within the muscle skeletal area, But there's also the brain-body connection, which is your nervous system connection that triggers anxiety and depression. So when we think about that and we think about a pelly health, it's, yes, let's talk about educating about how can I be proactive or reactive depending on my circumstance. 
when I think about my pelvic floor and training it the same way I'm thinking about my hair, skin, body, right? How do I be mindful about that? But then how do I also have the mental conditioning and things like meditation, hypnobreathing, things to connect the whole body back into this massive plexus of your, of, of your being is so critical. So I probably got a little in there. I'm a Helen, bring us, bring me back down. No, no, I just think, I think there's so much that is misunderstood. And and I say that as somebody who didn't understand her own pelvic health a couple of years ago. So it was a real learning journey curve for myself as well. And almost somewhat a little embarrassed or ashamed that I got to the age of my late forties and I didn't know this about my own health. And I have two daughters and I have two children. So you know, it's, 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 but it's such an integral part of your health and, and of your core, as uh, Kirsten says. Um, one in three of us, which is just outstanding, one in three of us will have a pelvic floor disorder at some point in our lifetime. Now, that's quite a wide, wide range of different issues, but 50% of adult women suffer from urine incontinence. That's a lot of women who are going around with a stigma or a shame of not wanting to share their symptoms or maybe not knowing where to go for help or even knowing that health, help is out there or why it's happening. So I think, you know, for pelvic health, yes, it's not something that's been widely spoken about, I, I believe, in the past. Um, and by the way, I had a child who was born in the US. I had a child born in the UK. So I've experienced both healthcare systems. And I can tell you on neither of those healthcare systems was there a lot of emphasis on what to do with your pelvic floor, looking after your pelvic health especially after having children, and not only in recent postpartum, but also 10, 15 years later, which is also something once you've postpartum, you're always postpartum. And I think this is really important that we understand this um, as women because it affects your daily health. Bridget, there's one thing I want to go back to um, in regards to what you shared um, about, you know, you switch doctors and you, and you still don't have some, some of the answers and information. Unfortunately, that's far too common. On average, it takes five to seven years for a pelvic floor dysfunction to be properly diagnosed. And so, you know, what I would say to many people is, and it's hard when you're in it. It's hard when you're, you're what I call, for lack of a better word, in crisis. And what I mean by that is you are physically exerting symptoms that are disrupting your daily life. And you go to ask one physician. I went through four physicians right? Four. But, but that kind of resolve is not easy. And you feel like here's this person I'm supposed to be able to go to. And then I get told, I don't know. And I think that really speaks to the mission of Pelly Health is about awareness and education and dialogue. There's a whole flip side to the medical part of this. And that's a fun conversation, a rabbit hole we can go down to grab down in a little bit. But you go back to in the 19, I think it was 1977, women started to be removed from medical trials here in the United States. So there, I bring that up is there was a massive research gap in medical health, not only around this topic, but in a number of female health topics, rheumatology, cardiology, take your pick. It's there. There's massive research gaps. And what does that mean? That means when we've got massive research gaps, you also have a gap in education, physician education, and therefore that impacts the patient. And the good news is that you're starting to see those gaps 
beginning to close. We still got a lot of work to do there. That's going to take decades, but it's happening. We have more physician, female physicians, scientists, researchers, doctors in the mix. We're starting to see um, uh, physician, female, or women's health certifications where they're taking deep dives into these specialties, but that's going to take time. And so what I would say you know, to a lot of people listening, because I've been in those shoes, is don't give up. Continue to seek. And when we seek, eventually we find. And I believe that is the journey for many women suffering from, from pelvic health. And, and, and that's part of what Pelly wants to do is to help direct you and help support you. That is just, it's so important, you know, and, and Bridget sharing her story and just so many of them. I had natural birth, right, with my son. And, and at the time it was like, going full on natural, like, you know, I'm going to have it in water and he's just going to slide right out of me and everything will be perfect. (laughs) Um, And of course, you know, I was in labor for almost 24 hours. Um, I pushed way too early because I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, ultimately he finally came out, but um, all kinds of stuff happened down there. Right. And, and it's not part of the program, right? It's not, once, you know, you, you get your baby, you go home, you call back because you, you need to make sure that everything's properly working on your baby. And we're not thinking about how our bodies are being impacted. So many different situations I've gone and I'm still experiencing from my birth, you know, but it's, it, I feel like as women, we're just, we, we suffer in silence, right? We yeah. take a lot of this. Um, the doctors will tell us one thing. I remember one doctor is like, Oh, you've got a tilted pelvic now. I'm like, okay. So what does that mean? So now I know that it's tilted. I know that, you know, yeah. when I my tampon, it feels different. It's not like going straight up. It's like going, you know, and all those things, but we just keep it to ourselves and there's not enough information out there, or you know, it's taboo to talk about. And I think now with kind of this shame-free conversation that's happening around women's health and women's sexuality and just everything about being a woman and even menopause and premenopause, it it really opens the space that we can start having those conversations and we don't have to suffer in silence. And where did you see that change happen, right? And, And when you say that, you know, women's medical research has has really, you know, slowed down, you know, from from the 70s and there's just a lack of the research and now we hear about femtech and billions of dollars now being yeah. supported to understand women's health like where was that changing point, you know, when we went from investing in in men's viagra and making sure that their sexual lives don't take a pause whatsoever like where did that shift come in where now women's health is starting to be prioritized how you want to jump in on that yeah i just well there's there is you know i think there's multiple um different um indicators as to when that kind of shift occurred so um I'm going to say, I don't know the actual date, but I think it was about six or seven years ago, there was a woman called Ida Tin, and she founded a period tracking um, company called Clue, which you may have heard of, and she coined the term femtech. And one of the reasons why she came up with the term femtech was really to help explain to male investors as to 
what this sort of niche was, which well, clearly isn't a niche because it's looking after the health of 50% of the population. <laughs> but because, because, as Kirsten says, that you know, women's anatomies weren't required as part of clinical trials for such a long period of time, until 1993 in the US. I mean, that's incredible. We have a huge gap. So only for the last 30 years have a woman woman's body anatomy being used for clinical trials. So if you wanted to take um, an, an Advil or something, and I guess it's a brand, I shouldn't say, but um, how that's do you know? Okay, as long as it's not alcohol. <laughs> no, we can say alcohol. <laughs> okay. Um, but how would you know what how your body should respond? Because it's being tested clinically trialed on a male anatomy and a male's body. Um, and so for a very long time, I think women were just seen as a, a smaller version of men. So just reduce the dose or just, you know, this will be the side effect. But there was no account for hormones being taken into there. There's no account for the way that our body physiologically makes up um, a woman's body. So Ida Tin, definitely on the femtech side of things, she was the one who sort of kicked off the whole conversation around um, femtech as a sector, which is now around 2,000 companies worldwide. Um, but I think in terms, I mean, I, I'm going to speak slightly differently for the UK and the US, obviously, um, for those who are listening at the US market, or the US um, is going to be of more interest. but. I do know that there's been a, a gradual turn in terms of women's health and bringing up the conversation. Menopause over here in the UK has really, really heavily started to focus in our conversations. And that has then in turn spiraled off other conversations about women's health. I'm very proud to say we do actually have a women's health ambassador. A, women's, um, a woman today got announced as a secretary of health. So the conversation is starting to beef up in, in, in the UK and the US. Um, I guess Kirsten can speak more to that. But I think it's been a momentum definitely that we've witnessed that's been growing for the last three to five years. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a there. Helen highlighted some of the research, which is which is really important in the clinical trials. Um, but at the same time, you know, in the early 2000s, right, you started to see a, a more and more female physicians started to come into practice and not just in um uh, like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking? Uh, pediatrics. I was trying to remember the word for pediatrics, right? We started to see women neurosurgeons, um, more women going into gynecology across the board, right? So that naturally is going to have a shift, right? Your researchers are seeing more scientists get into the fold coming up through school. That naturally is going to bring a shift and kind of the harder data, if you will, and the push to change. Um, uh, research policy, the push to get more funding for studies, which is actively unfolding and incurring, although still not big enough by any means. But I think that was that's a catalyst, right? I also think, you know, generation after generation, right? We start to be more comfortable talking about more topics, right? I, I guarantee my grandmother's no longer with us, but I'm not sure I would sit down with grandma and have a conversation with my pelvic floor. And she was a quite, quite the bold woman, but I'm just not sure, right? If, if in her context and her time, that was something you, you opened up about. And that's a woman who had seven kids, right? But I, I can, I'm now having that conversation with my own mother, which is absolutely fascinating because she has always been a closed book. But as I've started this business, she's asking questions. And what's beautiful about that is not only are we having a cross-generational dialogue, it's something that 
she's not comfortable talking to her friends about, nor is she comfortable talking to her physician about. But because there's this like opening of, well, what, what, just send me a little bit of information about, you know, postmenopausal pelvic health. Sure, no problem. Uh, my mother also had cancer at a very young age, uh, 42 was, you know, um, went through menopause at a very young age. And so all these things that she's been suffering with, I had no idea. But through this company, little by little, we're starting to open up that conversation. On the flip side, which, you know, was a surprise for me is um, Helen and I uh, were invited at Florida International University to uh, participate in a, in a femtech um, event uh, with their students. Uh, these are all undergrad students. What is amazing to Helen and I is this just Gen Z, if you will, the questions we got about their pelvic health. And I just think it's incredible because now you have this young generation that is curious about something that for me, an undergrad, would have never been a topic of conversation. So I think you have a, a combination of socioeconomic changes, cultural changes. You have some hard research uh, demographic changes in certain professions starting to unfold. And I think that's beginning to create this, this macrocosm. I'm not calling it a microcosm because it's not, it's a macrocosm. 50% of the population is starting, starting to have the conversation. And I think it's important to realize that we're at the beginning. We're, we're, we're nowhere near the middle. No, we're not. No, we are definitely um, nowhere near the middle. And I love that you say, you know, that your attendees to your your seminars, right, are asking really intelligent, bold questions. I do think that our partners need to be part of this conversation um, because when you struggle through any kind of pelvic health, your partner is also heavily affected um, by that as well. And so my question to the both of you and, you know, whoever would like to start, maybe Helen, you could start, is... Where can our listeners find resources to really to join the conversation or, you know, to learn more about participating either in the conversation or if they're really curious about pelvic health? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Bridget. And I think that is part of the journey of why we started Pelly Health, because there wasn't really an awful lot of relatable information available. So you can find things, you can you know, do a Google search and find things on medical journals or whatever, but it's not really relatable to the average woman who's experiencing issues or is confused as to what even they should be looking for. And so one of our missions of Pelly Health is to uh, disseminate information that's medically reviewed. So, um, so said that's very important, but also disseminate information that is relatable. So it's as the conversations that we're all having right now, it's something that women can listen to and identify with. So one of the things we're, we're really big on is pushing out that information that's relatable for women, engaging in those communities, be it on social media or be it through our own platform. Uh, currently, we're running a, a series of um, pelvic wellness in November. So we're, we've invited lots of medical experts from pelvic health, physical therapists to menopause um, experts, and we're having those conversations with them so that we can also extract that information and ask those questions that women want to ask. So um, that's really important for us right now. Um, and I think, you know, we're working very closely with um, uh, several pelvic health physiotherapists 
um, in creating further content that we'll be able to share very shortly, but also find out from them how that information has been disseminated. As I said, it's very different for me over here in the UK as to what um, Kirsten and yourselves are experiencing in the US. But this is a global issue. This isn't a, a sort of a, an issue with, with territory, right? It, every woman around the world will experience those issues with her health. So I think it's just a how you access that information and where you access that information, which is obviously very important. Um, but for us currently, for those in the it, who want to go to pellyhealth.com, they'll be able to find information that relates to all different types of um, pelvic floor disorders. And uh, obviously, we'll point them in, in the right direction as well as to where else they might want to go and find that information. And I've subscribed to your November um, subscription series, and I've already, you know, done the first <laughs> two. And I've um, learned so much, you know, and, and hearing about as we get older and like even just the amount of protein we should intake and, you know, so much going on with our bodies. Um, Kirsten, share a little bit more about that. And, and can people still get on and subscribe to this program now? And, and how can they do that? Absolutely. Um, we welcome people to jump on. Um, you will get access. Even if you're joining at week three, you'll have access to week one and two content. Um, this is all us providing free educational resources. Go over to pellyhealth.com to sign up. Um, in our blog section, you'll see it's the main marquee fall into pelvic wellness event. Um, and our, our goal with that is right to just disseminate information, education, and raise awareness amongst your own health. But also, hopefully, you take that and over a cocktail, talk, start talking about pelvic health. <laughs> Or long drives, right? Or a long drive, or coffee, whatever, whatever. Drive my husband into it. We can make it a a a date night, right? So we're learning about it. But um, so for those that for our listeners, Pelly Health, P E L I Health dot com, um, where you can learn more about it. And I feel like um, I've already learned so much, uh, you know, just by listening to the first two episodes. So. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for listening, both of you. Yes, absolutely. We we say a lot on this show that, you know, women, we are the majority, even though we are sometimes considered like others, you know, or like in another class. But we are we are the majority. Um, So the more that we can learn about our bodies and bring others into um, exploring conversations is so important. It really is. Because here's the thing, guys, if you're a woman, you you know, if you were born woman, right, you are going to go through menopause if you live to a certain age. You cannot avoid it. It's going to happen. And, you know, and all these things that we're talking about are going to affect you at some point or another. You cannot avoid it. I have never heard and maybe if you're out there, listeners, you know, send us a message. If somebody just has had smooth sailing <laughs> their whole life, being a woman, I just don't, I don't no. see it. But if you have, you know, maybe share some tips and tricks with us. <laughs> there's just so much that you can't avoid that we don't know enough about. And I remember um, before I had my hysterectomy and, you know, had the full hysterectomy, right? Everything came out and that was right before lockdown. And there, I couldn't find a lot of information, like, like how you said, and Helen or Kirsten, if you both said like, 
you know, so medical and I didn't understand Mm -hmm. what I was reading. And then I was at the grocery store, the local Mariano grocery store. And at the checkout, I know I was like perusing the magazines and it was an O magazine. So an Oprah magazine had a very short article about menopause. And you know, I keep that in my nightstand. I kept it and I cherished it because it was the first time that I read something that I could understand. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, I, and you know, the I think for any companies in femtech are all the same sort of mission of to, to drive women's health to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important that we have these conversations in the mainstream media. So the more we can get the topics of conversation, be it menopause, be it pelvic health, be it anything that relates to women's health, if we can get it into mainstream media, I think this is really critical because I, these are all opening up bigger conversations, wider conversations. And it means that perhaps one person who's listening today is one person who feels that little bit less isolated in what they're experiencing or what we're going through. And maybe it is more common or more normal than they think. And that's the, I think that's the crucial um, aim for, for most of us who are working in this space is to really drive that normality around talking about your health. It is your health. That's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a fundamental part of you. It's your quality of life, our longevity as we age. These things are really important and they shouldn't be swept under the carpet and they shouldn't be an embarrassing topic to talk about. It should just be very, very natural. Um, so I think, as, as we said earlier, you know, I think we have some generational and cultural um, mm-hmm. uh, ideas and, and um, conversations to change. And that will, cha- that will be different for every single person who comes from a different background. But I think once we start changing that narrative, Hopefully, um, this, for the, at least for my daughter's generation, when they grow up, I hope that they're having a very open conversation about their health and don't feel embarrassed. I love that. Um, Kirsten, I'm going to flip it over to you because I would love to ask, how do we start these conversations with families and friends? You know, is it a dinner table conversation? Do we wait till Thanksgiving? And they're passing the roles and they're like, can you do yoga? Or, you know, absolutely. Like, you know, this is how we approach this topic, you know. Let's, let's talk about pelvics. Perfect Thanksgiving uh, dinner conversation, I, potentially, maybe depending on your family. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, uh, you, my vision is that it starts to become as easy as saying, how are you doing? How are you doing down there? And I know that sounds silly and cliche. But I'll bring I'll bring this up to you. Um, I just had a friend who had a baby, and I don't want to keep uh, overemphasizing birth and pelvic health because you can also have pelvic health issues without ever having a child. Um, and I think it's important that people hear that and understand that because that's actually one of the big misconceptions around pelvic health. But you know, I I asked her just subtly, "How are you?" Just like you know, we're we're being more aware about maternal health, like. How are they physically doing? How are they mentally doing? And I said, how's it, how's everything going down there? Are you getting the support that you need postpartum for your pelvic floor? And just by that one question, this is her third kid. She said, you know, I never really thought about what I need for my pelvic floor. And that created this whole discussion. It is subtlety in asking. um, And I think it's the same way, you know, you ask your friend, you know, how are you feeling? 
about something. And that could be, as we talked, we kind of joked around over coffee, cocktail, whatever it is. It's, I think those one-on-one conversations create a much bigger ripple effect. And then obviously conversations like we're having now uh, with the two of you create those ripple effects. But I think we, we, we have to, in order to normalize it, we have to think about pelvic health. And I, I think I said this earlier, so forgive me if I repeat myself, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about our face and our skincare, our hair, Wait. our muscles, our bodies, even now more and more, thankfully, mental health. But to me, our pelvic floor should just be a part of how we think about everyday self-care. Because to Helen's point, it's about long-term mobility, long-term health. And if we can kind of get there mentally, then it's no longer this, this shameful conversation. It's actually empowering. And I think that begins with just as easy we ask people how we are and really mean it. How, how are things going? If you recognize them down there. Now let's let's have the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it is empowering. Um, and even just me learning more about women's health, pelvic health, menopause, and being able to have those conversations with my husband from a very um, factual, intellectual, with factual and intellectual knowledge, you know, he's eager to learn, right? And and I just remember even five, 10 years ago when I was, pre- you know, when I was pregnant, going through all of that, he was even just like, I mean, the woman's body is just incredible, like, but I don't understand it. And I don't Whoa. get it. So I think <laughs> a lot of them, they, they don't understand how we make all this happen. Neither do we. So I think it's just opening that conversation, learning more about it. And I try to be even with my son, right? Like when I have um, that's one thing with my mom, even being Korean, she's very like, not cons- like conservative. She's very open. Um, so we always knew when she was going through her premenstrual, you know, her premenstrual syndrome, like back off, like she's not in a good, you know, so I try to be very open with my son as well and not just hide it. You know, I mean, it, it's, yeah. I think that's really important. And when I hear him having conversations with his friends, especially the young girls, they're very open and they talk a lot. Uh, they share a lot about their sexuality, who they are as women. And they ask a lot of questions um, to the boys on like, <laughs> and, you know, and they, they even ask them like, have you been circumcised or not? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so Whoa. it's really, and, you know, and, and he answered honestly, which he hasn't, by the way, I think that's a whole nother topic. And I was like, wow, you guys that's are so brave and you're just so, open and and I do have a lot of faith in the younger generation that's really going to be because it is empowering right the more you can talk yeah. about your body and and what it puts out and I think um what I really love about the two of you really getting behind the the pelvic health which I haven't seen a lot when it comes to women's health is really getting to the source right like let's talk about the body part that impacts all these other things that kind of show, right? Whether it's our weight, our mental illness and and other ailments. And I feel like so much of our our medical knowledge, it's always very reactive versus being proactive. It's like this is this happened. So how do I fix it versus how do we prevent it from happening? So I'm glad you really said that 
pelvic health isn't only for women that have had babies, right? It's all women because it's such a critical part to our bodies. And I think that's going to be key as we, as you continue to build awareness, we all continue to talk about it, that it's a, it's a woman health issue and not, you know, something that you need to worry about when you're older or have children. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I know. I definitely thought it was like an, an old lady's issue. I, I know. You know and I also, like, no, I am the old lady. No. You are not the old lady. <laughs> oh, but I, I, do. I feel that way. But like, I'm, you know, it's like one day, oh, it doesn't apply to me. And then the next day, oh, yeah, it really applies to me. It does apply. And I, I think it's, <laughs> but it is true. And, and, and I think we haven't, um, given it really much um, airtime before. And I think it's really important because it is a huge integral part of your body. It connects with pretty much most of your functions of your body. And and so it's just, as you say, you know, a lot of things we focus on are on the external. You know, what do we look like? Our face, our hair, our skin, our this. But what about the internal? I think that's really important that we spend more time getting to know our bodies and getting to know why it's critically important to look after it. But also, as you're saying, is to be proactive. And that's one of our focuses of Pelly Health is to be proactive as opposed to just reactive. Mm-hmm. It, it's great. We need to find and um, help for women who need the support. But what's really important is to start earlier having this conversation and try to avoid a lot of pelvic health issues. Not all, but a lot of them can be avoided. And so I think it's really important that we have that proactive element to our health as well as reactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's something you said, Julie, right? It's it's a, it's an overarching women's health issue. It's not just because you have kids or just because you age, but I'll drop a fun little fact in here. And I might be teasing something that Pelly uh, is very much top of mind about, but one in nine men suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's not limited to just women. And I actually think that that stat we hear very little about. And the same way it's a functioning bladder and bowel function, it also is uh, connected to erectile dysfunction with men. So I think when we think about pel- pelvic health, it is a human health condition. And we have to think about it as, as not only as a human health condition, but it is like one of our, our most important connective muscle parts of our body for longevity. And, and if we can get to proactively think about that, whether you're uh, you know, male, female, or um, gender neutral, right? Like it, you still have a pelvic floor and it's still critical to your long-term health. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Kirsten, let's stick with you for one minute. Can you tell us what the future of Pelly Health looks like? Yeah. So, but what we're building out at Pelvic Pelly Health is a pelvic care management platform that is about um, connecting people to uh, evidence-based, medically reviewed content that is relatable, understandable, and digestible. Uh, the second part of that is building out a supportive community. A community for us is not just about connecting with each other, but also having the freedom to be connected to an expert to ask questions, right? Going back to pathways, we don't always know which path is the path we you know, need to go down, but having someone that is an expert in the field to direct you. Um, and then care. Care for us is uh, multidimensional. Care for us is on-demand um, courses. And that's really important going back to how our conversation started related to accessibility. So whether or not you're in an urban setting, 
um, that you can still get access to pelvic care courses at home, right? Like I'm from the Midwest. My cousins have had multiple kids out in rural Iowa. They're not driving five or six hours. They can't drive five or six hours to then go to the hospital and then drive another five or six hours home, right? So it's very important accessibility and also affordability. So by bringing those on-demand programs into the home, um, we can also make them affordable. Um, And then we also want to have what we call our pelvic power squats. We're building out those and those are led by experts and not just in the field of pelvic PT, right? Going back to treating the whole individual, we look at that from a mental health, nutrition, pelvic PT, as well as hormonal support. Um, so that's that's what we're building. Um, we are just becoming and we will continue to thrive. That's a big vision. And I see you, you know, already making a huge impact with that and, you know, just putting out these courses and, you know, starting the conversation is already making an impact in my life. And I know Bridget was super excited when I shared, you know, the program with her and, you know, just coming on served up and and sharing all of that. I'm, you know, forever grateful. And, you know, imagine a world where women just naturally understand their pelvic floor and and how to um, become a better version of themselves by taking care of their pelvic floor and and having this community and these resources. Like imagine how much more we can do, right? Without having to to suffer in silence. So thank you both for that. Yes. I want to thank you both for coming on Served Up for having, and I'll use one of Julie's words, a bold conversation. You know, and to help normalize women's health, it is um, something that is important to all of us. So thank you for really taking charge of this conversation. I'm so happy that we had this today. And I would love to invite you both back for an update on what That's you're definitely. up to. Yes, yes. And, you know, with that, I just I want to wish you both just some great health. Happy holidays and a lot of peace. Thank you. Thank you both for creating the space for us to come on, have this conversation, for being um, bold back at us and sharing your stories and your journeys. It's through dialogue like this that we create empowerment, awareness, and ultimately change. So we are forever grateful for this, this dialogue. Thank you both. It's been phenomenal. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!